The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. And the Mainland Podcast is back, everybody. I am Michael Citro, Managing Editor of TheMainland.com, and uh, we are here to talk about the Orlando City-Montreal Impact game, and we're going to look ahead to Friday night's game against D.C. United. Joining me tonight, Austin David and Andrew Marcinko. Guys, how are you doing tonight? Doing pretty good. Michael, what's up? How's it going? Oh, it's going good here. Uh, I got got this uh, Sam Adams cold snap. That I'm uh, enjoying tonight. There you go, nice spring beer. Yeah, I'm 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 a big fan of the Sam Adams seasonal beers, but not so much the Boston Lager. Okay. Um, so thought I'd go with uh, go with that. I hadn't tried it. I actually I bought it for the uh, I bought it for the podcast that uh, the DC United blog, Black and Red United, put together uh, the filibuster podcast because they they always talk about what they're drinking during the the show. So I had to have something to drink. So there you go. Um, so we're, let's dive right in and talk about Montreal Impact game. Orlando City had a, a suboptimal lineup to put out on the field. They went with a really funky lineup uh, or formation, I should say. The old, the old uh, five two two one. Yeah, sometimes it was a five two two one. Sometimes it was a three four three, and it was uh, it was interesting, and it didn't start out very good. Uh, but then it actually got really good before the end of the first half, and then again it just didn't seem to carry forward into the second half. I don't know if it was Montreal adjustments or if it was Orlando running out of steam and then just trying to hold on for a point or what it was, but um, uh, I'm going to ask each of you, but Andrew, st- uh, start out, tell me your thoughts on the game overall. Yeah, I mean, you know, just looking at the result, you could ignore the play, don't look any deeper into it. Getting a point out of a game where we were missing, what, six starters, I think, was the final number that were out? That's a win. I mean, getting a point on the road, no less. So getting a point in Canada on the road, um, missing so many starters, that should be considered a huge victory. 
Yeah, especially falling behind by two goals like uh, like the Lions did. Right, Austin. Um, you know what? Uh, what were you thinking when when Orlando City fell behind by two goals and uh, hadn't looked very good up to that point? I mean, uh, <laughs> to put it lightly, I was I I, I was kind of mailing it in at that point. It's like, oh, another loss. This is going to be terrible. I mean. It really didn't look good at that point, uh, especially the way that uh, Jack McInerney scored that uh, second goal. He kind of uh, chipped Donovan Ricketts. Uh, Sean St. Ledger not didn't actually you know get up to challenge the uh, the chip, and then you know I'm just sitting at my screen. It's like oh this is going to be a, a nightmare. It's going to end in like five nil or something, and then suddenly you know the team woke up, and and <laughs> two minutes later it's tied and. You know, it's it's the magic of Kaká and Pedro Ribeiro. They're working together now, and we're, we actually scored a real goal. That, I think that's the, the <laughs> biggest thing we can take out of this game is that we scored a goal of our own volition. And, you know, that can open up a lot for, for this coming game against D.C. United. I feel like yeah, I, first, hope, I hope Donovan bought uh, Donovan Ricketts bought Pedro a nice, uh, nice Jamaican dinner in Orlando or something because <laughs> he really got bailed out, uh, not to... Not to throw shade, as we say on the site, but I think Donovan was at least a little bit culpable on both both of those goals. Yeah, I agree. The penalty, he guessed correctly. It wasn't a very well-taken penalty by Piatti. It was certainly within reach, and Ricketts will think he should have done better on that. I mean, he he got up and was very animated afterwards, knowing that he should have stopped it and, and didn't. And then, of course, the chip, which a little bit of a miscommunication, a little bit of a... Uh, lag by St. Ledger and getting over and covering. And it, it was a play that looked really like it was covered. I mean, Hines uh, headed it, and, you know, Orlando had actual numbers back behind the ball. Shouldn't have been an issue. And next thing you know, you're yanking it out of your net, and it's 2 da- it's two nothing down. And uh, if not for the heroics of Kaká and Pedro Ribeiro, we would have gotten nothing out of that game. And, and Montreal is not playing well in MLS play right now. So it was important to get something out of that game, and they did. Uh, not only the first uh, two goals during the run of play for the Lions, but also the first two first-half goals of the season for Orlando City. So that's something. And um, what do you think we'll see in terms of uh, the Lions being able to build on this, Andrew? Yeah, I mean, you had to like that, and I think the the difference there might have been the in the formation. You mentioned it; it did look good there. Not so much the the five wide at the back, but having the two uh, attacking midfielders, getting getting Pedro and Kaká in there together, the Brazilian connection seemed like they were able to do a lot more than we have been with the four two three one, where there's only sort of the one central attacking midfielder. And you saw it in both the goals; they were both sort of little little give-and-go touch passes in the middle of the field with those two attacking midfielders. So uh, a thought I raised, you know, do you have to start looking at different formations here, even once everyone's back and healthy, where we get that additional player into the middle of the field? Right, and maybe it's not a case of um, the formation so much as maybe it's a case of Ribeiro isn't a lone up-top striker. Maybe he's the type who needs someone to play off of as he played off of Kaká uh, on uh, Saturday night. Um, you know, I thought we haven't seen a whole lot of two strikers up top to to know if if that's what uh, what Ribeiro is all about because we have a very small sample size so far. Um, Austin, if that's the case and Ribeiro does work better with a strike partner, do you put him up top with a Rochez or do you play him in the midfield? Well, I think the nice thing with Ribeiro is that he's 
pretty much played every single position on the field except for goalkeeper in his career. Um, you know, at Coastal Carolina, he played defense, midfield, and attacking. We saw him last year when and Harrisburg came to town. He was a center back. Uh, you know, so he's he's well versed in almost every position in the field. So that's a nice thing for Adrian Heath because he's such a big guy. He's six four and you know two hundred something pounds. He's a big body to try and move around. So Adrian Heath can kind of look at different positions for him, not necessarily just up top. You know, on his on his lonesome, but maybe you know, kind of back a bit, um, you know, even even kind of like a, you know, like a, uh, put it this way, uh, like behind Kaká even, you know, even having mm-hmm. someone in front of Kaká, but also playing someone playing behind Kaká, not necessarily defensive mid-role, but, you know, something around that general vicinity. And Well, that's my, my thing is I don't think there's somewhere for him in the 4-2-3-1, though. I think the only position yeah. he can play well in a 4-2-3-1 is that middle position, and that's, you know, we have a guy who does that, if you haven't noticed. So I'm not sure there's a role for him in that formation. And I, I think you're absolutely right. I think Ribeiro was actually pretty much brought in, in you know, just in case Kaká either went on international duty or got injured or just kind of as a, uh, a protege for Kaká or to Kaká. Uh, so the fact that he's actually kind of stepped up and kind of surprised a lot of people, and, and now you're kind of, you know, if you're the coaching staff, you're questioning, well, this guy's playing well. we got to find somewhere to put him. Uh, I think right. that kind of it, it questions Adrian Heath because not only uh, are a lot of the guys still learning the four-two-three-one and that entire system that he spent years cultivating, you know, there's still question marks with that, but, you, you know, you have guys who you play in a specific way that's not very conducive to your formation. So you really, if you're Adrian Heath and the entire coaching staff, Mark Watson, Ian Fuller, you really have to take a, a good hard look at what what you know what kind of players you have and and then plan accordingly. Right. Yeah, you know, I look back to the to the media day, the first media day out at the training center, uh, training facility, and you know we remarked about how Ribeiro was this big guy who looked really really skilled and was playing very well out there. Uh, so this is maybe not as surprising to us as, it's, as it is to some Orlando City fans and maybe some fans from around the league seeing, you know, Ribeiro turn in this man-of-the-match type uh, performance. Uh, he was our man-of-the-match. Uh, MLSsoccer.com decided that Kaká was better. Um, we're not going to quibble with that too much, but um, but we you know we all talked about that out there, you know, how good Ribeiro looked and how he was... He was sneaking balls in and curling them in from pretty far out and beating the goalkeeper and, and just showing a lot of skill. Yep, yeah, I mean, I agree. And that's, I mean, to elaborate a little bit on, on him positionally, he's not really a pure hold-up striker kind of player. He's a little more of a dribbler. He's not quite as physical. Maybe that's something he could develop, but he doesn't have it quite yet. But on the other hand, he doesn't have the blazing speed of a, a Carlos Rivas or, or a player like that where he's really comfortable in that the wing role uh, in, in our formation. So that's where he's kind of like an in-betweener with his skill set for the, those positions out there. Yeah, and he was, he was really good with the ball at his feet, as we saw on Saturday yeah. night. Uh, good, good first touch and good in traffic, which, you know, for a guy that size, that's, it's pretty unusual. Uh, let's turn our attentions a little bit toward Friday night. D.C. United defending Eastern Conference champs come in. They're a little bit shorthanded, not like... Orlando City has been, but uh, Espindola, their striker, is uh, suspended. They've got Steve Birnbaum, a very good defender who's out uh, with an ankle injury and, uh, you know, a couple other minor things. But, uh, 
you know, Orlando City's not quite back to full strength. Uh, Darwin Saren, we know, was still traveling late this afternoon uh, back from Los Angeles. We know um, Breck Shea and, and some others were coming over from Europe. Uh, but there may be some help on the way. Rafael Ramos apparently left the Portugal U-20 team a little early, came back a day early. Um, we think that Rivas might be available on the bench. Uh, Higuita will not be available. Uh, still no Patterson. Um, but we might see some of those guys who played internationally on the bench at least, and uh, and that should be a big help for Adrian Heath in creating a lineup. You should at least be able to put 18 names down on the card. Um, <laughs> Andrew, what do you think uh, is going to be the key matchup on Friday night? Well, you know, you mentioned some of those absences for um, for DC United, and um, I think those those are big for them. I mean, those are two really big players. Spindle obviously is an excellent striker. He may be the the best ta- the best talent on that team. He was very very good last year uh, on a team that won the Eastern Conference in MLS. Uh, but Birnbaum in the back as well, the, their center back, is a very good player. Just got a first, his first call-up to the uh, U.S. national team a couple months back. Really a top-tier young MLS defender. I think that's a huge blow for them. They have uh, Kofi Apari behind him, um, who will likely start the game on Friday night. A good player, pretty raw. He's a, a, a Ghanaian player, I believe, and has the physical tools. He's only 24, fairly young for a center back, and kind of a raw talent. So I'm pretty concerned about about him positionally, particularly in the communication factors as well with Boswell next to him there. Uh, that's something that Kaká, uh, possibly Ribeiro, and Molino, if he makes his return, will look to exploit. Any sort of communication issues, any weakness among the two center backs is going to put D.C. in a tough position. Yeah, and, you know, I'm thinking that, um, for me, Perry Kitchen is going to be big going up against Kaká. That's going to be a pretty key matchup. And... Um, you know, if they keep Kaká under control, that's going to be a big problem. And Adrian Heath said today, he talked about how experienced D.C. United is with several players 30 years uh, or over uh, in the in the lineup, and they've been around the league a long time. They know the league very well. It's going to be uh, pretty tough, Austin, to uh, to come away with three points um, on Friday night against such, uh, you know, an experienced team and one that is playing at a pretty high level. Yeah, and I think there's there's also one name that you got to look out for because I, I have a feeling he's he's got some uh, some feelings towards uh, this Orlando City club uh, that is Jairo Arrieta, uh, originally drafted by Orlando City in the expansion drafts and then moved on to uh, to DC United for who knows why but uh, he you know he may have a bit of a grudge against the team you know maybe have maybe uh, try and prove himself you know like oh you know this is what you get for for getting rid of me kind of thing. Uh, so, so he's he's definitely a guy who to 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 look out for up top. And you mentioned you mentioned Perry Kitchen, Michael. He's a player I've liked for a long time, um, and I think he 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 sort of compares very closely to Amobi Akugo. Same kind of player. They're very kind of a, a leader on the field, a field general type, the defensive midfield role. Not too creative, not too much attacking, but they're able to move the ball forward well. Sort of like a, a younger version of a Kyle Beckerman type player, where it's really just controlled, smart passes, kind of keeps the whole flow of the game. So really an important player for them, um, and it'll be interesting to see how he he matches up with Kaká there in their in their defensive midfield. Yeah, and I want It'll be interesting to see. I know that DC United likes to to push the attackers out wide 
and force you to send crosses into the box where they have a lot of strength with with Bill Hamid as their goalkeeper, you know, maybe the best in the league, and uh, some big, tall center backs that can head the ball away. That's that's what they like to do. They like to keep you out of the middle. And Kaká can operate on you know any part of the field, but keeping him out of the middle is it certainly makes um, things a little bit more tough on Orlando City because uh, it kind of you know they can funnel him one direction and then they don't have to worry about him beating them two two different sides. So. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens. We're going to start bringing in our guests now. We're going to talk a little bit more about the D.C. United specifically uh, in just a little bit. But we're going to bring in uh, our first guest right now, who is one of our very own mainlanders. And joining us now on the Mainland Podcast, our very own staff writer, Kevin Mercer. And Kevin is a, a guy who, if you have been reading the site, and why wouldn't you, um, who is uh, very versed in the history of not only Orlando City soccer, but uh, soccer in the area in general, and also uh, big time into the U.S. men's national team and the goings-on with that. Uh, Kevin, welcome to your first ever uh, appearance on the Mainland Podcast. Thanks, guys. Good to be here. So I want to start right out. Um, Austin is uh, not only for us, but also for a radio show, is up in the press box on game nights. Andrew and I have been covering the games on game nights in the Citrus Bowl. What has it been like in the stands um, with these huge, huge crowds for Orlando City, these first two home games? You know, it's been really fantastic, actually. Um, I was thinking about it this morning. I was actually looking through some uh, old photography uh, I have of the of a prior games, and you can even tell just in the the way the, um, the crowds look in, in photos, the, the crowd's just, it's a totally different experience uh, this year compared to, say, uh, last, year, uh, um, last year at Disney World or the years before at the Citrus Bowl. Um, you have a really kind of a unified fan base, I think, this year, and um, which has just created a great atmosphere and uh, made the Citrus Bowl a kind of a great place to be, uh, be playing games this year. Now, I want this to be an open forum, so, you know, Austin, Andrew, if you've got some questions about the fan experience for Kevin, uh, throw them in. But before, before you guys do that, I want to ask Kevin... Uh, a little bit about, you know, what's we don't really get to hear like a lot of what's going on over, over the PA. What's what's being done that you like and maybe that you don't like uh, over the PA in terms of music and and sound effects and, and yeah. announcements and that kind of. thing? You know, it's funny. I made a, a I had a column a while ago about a kind of a an idea for a mixtape of what the, what the, the PA should be playing in terms of songs. And to be honest, you can't hear it um, throughout the throughout the game. Um, the crowd is so loud that really the PA is, is uh, kind of probably background noise. And the only thing I've ever heard really is uh, uh, the song Start Wearing Purple at the end of the game, which I thought was a pretty cool addition. Uh, if uh, nobody knows, I forget the band's name, but it's a gypsy punk band name. Uh, that's a pretty, pretty fun song. And uh, that's going on. I think it's really good. But, you know, to be honest, the crowd is so loud. The supporters groups are so loud that you really, the, the PA doesn't, it, it never plays into the, in the mix at all, really, I don't think. Who's the, was it the Atlanta Falcons who got in trouble for pumping the crowd noise into the stadium? It uh, is, yeah. Hopefully, hopefully Orlando's not doing any of that. No, I, I really don't think they are. I, really, you know, I don't think we need it. Uh, well, you know, the first, uh, I think everyone looked towards the supporters for the first game when, you know, we had, uh, you know, 60, what was it, 62,000 people in the stadium. And um, to be honest, I couldn't even hear the, the supporters groups because they're just, the, fa- the fan base itself was so loud, so... Um, they were a little bit more prominent during the uh, Whitecaps game, though. 
And Kevin, uh, just to let you know that uh, song you were talking about, it's, I think it's Gogol Bordello. Uh, Thank you. The, yeah, they they used to play that at the uh, the Disney. They started it over there, and I think people liked it, so they just kept it going. But uh, in terms of the you know the the difference between game one and game two, obviously game one was really big, you know, complete filled stands, um, you know, t- you know, tucked to rafters and whatnot. And then uh, the second game was a bit more. Uh, you know, normal, I guess you could say with, uh, yeah. you know, I think the announced crowd was over 30,000, but the turnstile count was closer to 24,000. Uh, okay. but it was, it was still, you know, you know, for my knowledge, fairly loud. I mean, what was the, the difference between game one and game two for you out there? You know, to be honest, um, I sit right at the top and, um, kind of right at the top of the bowl and, uh, looking down, you know, to me, it didn't feel that much different. Um, I think you certainly, um, Notice the difference, but I don't think the difference was um, as big as I expected it to be. The crowd was still loud. The crowd is, you know, the crowds have been very active in, I think, supporting the club. You know, one of the things you have in, in a kind of a new MLS club, you feel like maybe there's going to be some kind of uh, curiosity seekers kind of just to come check it out for the first time. And I haven't really noticed that. I, I My friends and I always joke around about the lack of uh, you know Manchester United and Real Madrid jerseys. You just don't see those like you did maybe the first couple of years of uh, the USL team. Um, you really have people wearing purple. You have people who are engaged in the game, who are, are really there for the, the, the soccer experience versus maybe the fan experience or the kind of the social experience. Yeah, yeah, you know, go Kevin, ahead. I wanted to ask you about uh, is one thing that we can almost we can't really quite hear it in the press box, but we can sort of almost feel it is the crowd taking notice when Kaká has the ball in the attacking third. Describe what that buzz is like for you down there. Yeah, you know, it's it's actually um, it's it's really good because you I think you see a fan base that's becoming, you know, both in America and also in Orlando is becoming more knowledgeable of the game. So they're not just looking for big saves, big goals, you know, big slide tackles, but they really understand the nuances. And I think they really understand that when Kaká touches the ball, kind of like I mentioned today in today's article, actually, when, you know, when he touches the ball, you know something, there's a, the potential for something to happen there. And uh, you see a lot of people um, getting, out of the, getting out of their seats and standing up to watch. Um, you see a lot of people. Same thing happens with Brett Shea as well, kind of when they, they run down those, those, uh, those sidelines you see the fans really responding to potential for something big to happen. And I'm not sure if it's a, a young fan base looking for excitement or uh, a knowledge of the game, but I think either way, I think that you see, you're right, there is a, a buzz when, um, when those, those big players touch the ball that people know they can really do some, some big things with it. So. Yeah, and one of the things that, that it reminds me of is when you watch the European teams and, the, and they start to build an attack and, you, and the fans start to come to their feet and, and really re- respond to what's going on in the field. And that's, it's good to see because, you know, it would be easy for us to be the new kids on the block and, you know, being kind of you know, dumb, yeah. <laughs> I guess for lack of a better word, uh, when it comes to that kind of thing. And, and it's nice to see that Orlando is not only being supported, but by being supported in a, in a more cerebral way than you would expect a new expansion club to be supported. That's what, that's yeah, what I've been watching, too. I'm way more interested in the, in the sidelines, the 50-yard line seats, if you will, where the non-supporters group uh, fans were. And just like you guys say, they're standing when Kaká or Brexche are on the ball. They're getting into it. I saw them yelling at the refs in the, uh, um, uh, the New York game a little bit. And the other game, was, they're getting on the refs. You know, stuff like that that, 
these aren't, you know, amateurs. These aren't, you know, people who don't care at all. They're there. They care about the team. They're wearing purple. And it's much more interesting to see that coming out of the non-supporters groups. You know what you're going to get from the 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 ILF and Ruckus over there. Going to be standing, cheering, going crazy. But I was way more interested to see the uh, the non-supporter groups fans, and I've been pretty impressed so far. And you know, and I think too, the non non-supporters are getting they're getting involved in some of the chants. Um, you know, and even more so than I think they did um, in the in USL. You know, they would. There's always the you know the thunderclaps and the uh, you know Orlando City back and forth have always been kind of a popular. A way to get the entire stadium into the into the chant, but I think that this year you see more. I would say maybe spillover into uh, some of the chants and some of the ideas going on over in the supporters groups. You see more people, um, you know, over in the like I said, the fifty, the the midfield, or uh, even over like we're kind of near the corner, and it kind of really spills over there to where really kind of an extension of the supporters group. So, well, it's got to give you chills too when you hear like that many people singing the "We Love You" chant, you know, and. And, uh, you know, I remember from 2011 and, and I hadn't been part of a supporter culture, but I was I was around midfield for the Newcastle friendly and I was taking part in that. And I was just kind of bouncing up and down with the drums. And, you know, it wasn't quite the same because there were a lot of empty seats in the, in the Citrus Bowl that day, uh, especially compared to now. But uh, maybe just as a final question, can you tell us what it's like for you as a fan, somebody that's come up? And, and been with the club for this whole ride. Uh, what kind of goosebumps did you feel uh, when Kaká, for example, scored that go- late goal in the 90th minute in the opener? Uh, as somebody who had, you know, weathered all of this with the with the old USL Lions. Yeah, I mean, and and even before that with the old Orlando Lions, you know, I've, I've kind of seen this grow, you know, for you know tens of years, if not, you know, more. And you know it's surreal. I mean, I think I remember walking up to the stadium the first for the first game at home, and it was an absolutely surreal experience to see the stadium covered in banners and the you know the people getting out there really early for the game. And it's just been an overall, it's been a fantastic experience. But that's kind of the obvious thing to say. I think it's been surreal is probably the better thing to say. We know when Kaká scored that goal, you know, it's hard to explain. And and you know, I'd be a brilliant writer if I could ever put it into words how it feels when a collective group of people have the same emotion. And I thought that after New York's first goal, that just the disappointment and the fact that it was kind of off the narrative of, of, the, of the entire day, of the, of the entire couple past couple years, um, and then to have Kaká score that goal, I think really kind of just was euphoric and, and everything it should be. And I think at the same time, too, in maybe a, a less exciting way, the Vancouver goal, just the disappointment that that game – you know, that game ended on such a, t- a sour note. And, you know, walking out of the stadium, you really felt it in the collective group. There wasn't, it wasn't an anger. It was just a complete, just kind of the wind had been blown out of everything. And I think that is something that you can't really, I mean, Phil Rollins and all the people in the office, you know, want to have, but you can't build that. It's something that those, the fans bring themselves to the game. And I think that's what's really happening now is you've got a, uh, you know, a fan base that's really embracing it, but also, enjoying every moment of it, good and bad, too. So, definitely. All right. Well, uh, Kevin Mercer, Mainland staff writer and soccer historian for the site. Uh, we appreciate you being on. We're going to have to have you on again real soon. Sounds Thanks for good. being with us tonight. Sounds good, guys. Have a great night. Thank you. Okay. Joining us now is Jason Anderson. He's the co-managing editor of Black and Red United, which is uh, also a fellow SB Nation MLS soccer blog. Jason, welcome to the Mainland Podcast. 
Thanks for having me on, guys. Uh, well, Jason, you know, you are um, obviously uh, writing for a blog that has been covering one of the most storied programs in MLS uh, history, really, in uh, DC United. And we are the new kids on the block. Um, not the boy band, but actually actual new kids on the block. Um, what are what are people saying up in D.C. about uh, facing Orlando City and Kaká? Is there any concern whatsoever that D.C. might come home without any points or only one point? Uh, I would say yes, um, especially compared to past expansion teams. It looks like Orlando uh, is a lot more prepared Um pulled together not just a roster of guys that have been in MLS, but guys that were starters elsewhere. Um, someone like Aurelian Collin didn't pop up on Toronto FC or Chivas USA when they came into the league. They didn't have anyone like that, or um, Eric Avila, for example. Um, so those guys uh, are well-known, and we've all seen what Kaká can do. He looks like he's uh, taking MLS very seriously, which is always kind of the indicator as to whether the super talented, uh, highly paid star is going to succeed in the league is how serious uh, they are when they start. Um, it, you don't see those guys come around um, halfway through. So Kaká is, is clearly um, very engaged in doing well, and he's having a lot of success uh, as well. It's not just that he wants to, he's, he's doing it. Um, so between that and DC's pretty poor record on the road thus far. It's only two games that we've played on the road, but both of them have been losses. Um, there's definitely concern that this is a, a very tough game. It's not just um, in the past a game against an expansion team, you would just automatically assume that you're going to win, but it's not like that this time. So what are you looking forward to uh, uh, matchup-wise, Jason? Is there anything you know in particular with this match you see uh, a matchup to watch, for example? Uh, yeah, I, I would say with with Kaká and with how Pedro Ribeiro has, has played the last couple games, um, for me at least, uh, DC has switched out or and has been forced to switch out uh, at center back. Uh, Steve Birnbaum picked up an injury last week. He's not going to play uh, on Friday, so Kofi Opari will be in there. And uh, between Ribeiro and, and Kaká is obviously not just a creative midfielder. He's a, a threat to score. So it's a it's going to be a very difficult challenge for a new look center back pairing dealing with those two and it's not just those two but I, I guess that's the area of the field I'm most concerned with and and I'm kind of hoping that United maybe plays Perry Kitchen a little deeper than normal to help out but uh, so far there there have been other instances where that would have been um, an interesting wrinkle to add and it hasn't happened but maybe this is the week that we learn our lesson a little bit. Now Jason Austin here. Um... You talked about Bierenbaum being out for for a few weeks with that injury. Uh, how big a, a, of a, an effect of you know is that for you guys? Because he is uh, you know an up and coming player. Obviously played with the national team fairly recently and uh, kind of been your rock in, in the back. And how big is it for you guys to to lose him, especially for this upcoming match against Orlando? Uh it, it would be bigger uh, because of his his he's an excellent talent. Um, a good combination of, of skills you'd want to see in a center back. Um, he's very good at playing simply. Fortunately, and this is kind of, uh, it's not new for DC United, but it, it's something that for a very long period in the middle of our existence just never happened. Uh, it's nice to have a another center back on the roster where the drop-off isn't very steep. 
Um, Opare didn't play an MLS minute last year only because Birnbaum and Boswell were established when he, when we got him via trade. Um, but it's not a, a negative towards him. It's just that it's such a high bar to clear with, with Boswell and Birnbaum. Um, Opare looked good against LA. It, it was his former club, so I'm sure there was a little extra motivation as well. But um, he's very similar to Birnbaum, um, maybe a little more skilled with the ball at his feet, maybe a little less... Um, steady with his decision making but it's splitting hairs in both categories it's not a a major drop off and it's 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 good that he's pushing those guys for minutes and um now that we've seen an injury uh for the first time in a while uh I'm I'm very confident that Opari can come in and do a very good job but there is a reason why Burnbaum was starting he is slightly the better player Jason I wanted to know um obviously we know all about Bill Hamid and and how good of a goalkeeper he is and Orlando City is a team that has played about 190 minutes at home this year and has not scored in the run of play at home and has only scored one deflected penalty kick goal in two games. How in the world is Orlando City going to beat Bill Hamid and score a goal in this game? Well, I, th- I think um, any team facing Hamid probably needs to think of it as less about um, getting past uh, this immovable wall and, and just trying to create as many chances as you can Um Eventually, as New York showed um, when we we went up to Red Bull Arena, if you create enough chances, eventually that some are going to get in. Um, and I, th- I think it's much more about getting around, uh, getting through the midfield and getting around the back four. Um, Hamid can steal a game on his own. He did that a bunch of times last year. It's why um, I know Ramon- there were a lot of people that said Ramondo should have been goalkeeper of the year. Um Romando spent some time in D.C., so we're all very fond of him, but I think that the right decision was made um, because of the fact that Hamid, there were several games where D.C. didn't really deserve much, and Hamid would stand on his head, and we would get the odd goal and end up winning one nothing. Um, so he is an excellent goalkeeper, and it is going to be difficult. I, I think strategically, uh, one thing I would emphasize is maybe not playing in too many crosses because he's he's quick and big and he's strong enough to go get crosses even in traffic um we saw last week when uh united played la uh brian rowe is not as physically strong and he came for a cross he shouldn't have didn't quite punch it away the way he would have because of the traffic in front of him and that's where dc ended up scoring a goal in in the moments that followed um hamid's going to claim a cross like that so I would say if you're going to try and score on him to try and uh, create chances on the ground rather than trying to whip crosses in in the air, because if he can come for them, he's probably going to get to them. And I, I would say, too, I, I've, I've covered Hamid a little bit for the U.S. national team for, for some of my other writing, and I played keeper, so I feel like I have some insight there back in the day anyway. Now I just sort of drink and kick the ball a little <laughs> bit. But um, uh, Hamid is very, very good on breakaways in particular, and just making himself huge. I mean, he is huge. But I put him maybe even a notch above Tim Howard and Brad on some of the other national team guys, when it comes to just getting giant on the breakaways. I think that's not a huge thing for Orlando because we're not really a breakaway team. We don't have like a, a Bradley White Phillips kind of striker who's really trying to beat off sides trappers or anything. But if you're going to score on Bill Hamid, breakaways is, is not the best way to do it. Uh, but you touched, on, you touched on the injuries. You touched on uh, Birnbaum, Jason. So to flip that around to a player who is surprisingly not injured, uh, Chris Pontius, I wanted to ask you about. Uh, if you've only watched the NLS for the last two years, you might not know how good he was, but in 2012, he, he was one of the best attacking players in the league, I thought. 
could you tell Orlando fans, you know, what to expect, what to look for from from him in this match? Well, it's interesting that you bring him up, uh, Andrew, because uh, in 2012, he was a best 11. He scored 12 goals, mostly as a left winger, um, both in a... United kind of switched back and forth depending on personnel that year between 4-4-2 and 4-2-3-1. But Pontius was able to get get forward, and cut, he was very good at cutting in off the left and shooting. Um, we kind of coined the phrase the Pontius special because four or five of his goals came from the almost the exact same blueprint. Um, this season he's been playing as a striker because United is very short up front. We've lost... Um, Eddie Johnson may his career appears to hang in the balance as far as um, his heart condition and uh, what the test results come back as. Uh, Fabian Espindola is still three games uh, has still has three games left on his suspension. Uh, Luis Silva is probably going to be in the squad uh, this weekend, but he's nowhere near being able to start yet in terms of the minutes he can play, especially um, on the road, especially on turf. I, I don't think he's going to be risked uh, more than 10, 15 minutes. So Pontius and Jairo Arrieta, who uh, on paper was a member of Orlando City for a, a little while, um, <laughs> those are our guys. And uh, I am wondering whether in, in both of the last two games, Pontius and Chris Rolfe have switched positions so that Pontius ends up at left midfield and Rolfe ends up uh, as a forward. But it's not been wh- where they've started. It's been a second-half adjustment. And I do kind of wonder if, if we're not on the – the edge of seeing that made uh, semi-permanent, at least until Espindola and Silva are both fully fit. Um, but Pontius may also have earned himself some more minutes up front as he, he scored the goal against the Galaxy. Um, and it, it was the, I think it was the third of three point-blank chances that he got. So he's getting into better positions now than he was in the first couple weeks of the season. Um, he's good in the air. Um He's not necessarily the best finisher. Like I just said, it, it took three good chances before he put one away. Um, but he's always going to be working hard. He's got pretty good feet, um, a good all-around um, athletic package. Uh, like I said, he's good in the air, but he's also got some speed. So he's kind of an all-around threat. He can drop off the front line, or he can p- push up high and be the tr- a traditional number nine. Uh, so there's a lot going on with him that can be a threat. He's not... Um, He's not someone where you shut down one thing and you can take him out of the game. He's someone where he's going to test you in all different ways. Now, Jason, uh, talking about the, just the squad as a whole, what, what's your biggest worry going into this game against Orlando? What do you think the team really needs to do on your end to, to be successful? Uh, given that this is a road game and given how the other two road games have gone, uh, the, th- the thing that I've been thinking about is – possession and being able to not necessarily let Orlando play the way that they want to play. Um, I know that Orlando likes to keep the ball. They've been very good at getting a high possession number and dictating how the game is going to be played and forcing teams to do a lot of defending. Uh, DC has had uh, against New York. It was um, a team that wanted to play a similar style, uh, keeping the ball and DC just couldn't get a hold of it. And New York ended up with a tremendous amount of possession, even though, they took the lead in the first half. Normally in MLS, a team takes the lead in the first half and they end up losing the possession battle because they end up being satisfied with that and standing off. I know Orlando doesn't play that way and New York didn't play that way. And DC, just it just felt like they were chasing the game too much. Um, against Alajolense in the Champions League, it was sort of a different thing. Alajolense just wanted to play north and south uh, track meet soccer. And DC couldn't possess the ball long enough to stop that from happening. Um, 
So, so in both cases, it ended up going poorly. And I think that's got to be a huge focus in training this week because Orlando values the ball so much is if, if United can keep a hold of the ball just as much, it makes, it takes something from Orlando that they like to do. And well, I also, Oh, go ahead. How, how frustrating is that for you, for you DC fans to be 2013 worst record in, in MLS and you won the gold cup 2014 best record in the East and you got knocked out uh, in, in pretty bad fashion of the champions league. It seems like you guys are good in the league and, and bad in the tournaments or vice versa. It, it, it's really tough to, to go out in the Champions League. Um, I Anyone that's a, a DC fan, I know, Andrew, uh, this is part of um, your backstory as well, is uh, going back to the 90s with United. Um, don't, don't, don't tell anybody. I'm trying to keep that secret. Oh, okay. Never, never mind. <laughs> Everyone just pretend I never said that. Too late. Um, <laughs> but uh, back, back, in the, back in the 90s, DC was winning everything, and it kind of... Uh, and, and maybe this is something that now Seattle's kind of taken over, but there's an idea of, of just being greedy about winning everything and making history. And for for there, no one's won the Champions League. Uh, there have been DC and LA both won the Champions Cup when it was a much simpler format. But winning the Champions League this year would have been uh, tremendous. And and the killer is that this is the time to be an MLS team in the Champions League because the Mexican clubs are all getting knocked out. Um, Montreal is the other MLS team in there, and they're not, they're not that great. Um, so that first leg against Alajuelense is still kind of a enduring uh, nightmare because I, I watch the Champions League. I, I love the Champions League. I always tune in, and it's it's brutal to watch because I know that DC could be, you know, hosting the second leg against Montreal in a good position, and instead we're out. Um, and it's kind of odd that we were even in in the first place because, it, like like you said, in 2013. United was the worst team in the league, one of the worst teams in MLS. I think um, statistically the worst team. Um, I I actually think the 2010 United team was worse at soccer but was luckier. Um, in 2013, yeah, Un- United was a rare balance of bad and also just horribly unlucky. Um, and it's, which it's is how- worth refreshing for some of our Orlando listeners. You know, Keep in mind, a lot of our fans weren't really big MLS fans for the last mm-hmm. few years because we were down in USL. So DC United was very, very good. I think the best team in the league, if I remember correctly, in 2012, and then truly prolifically awful in 2013. In my opinion, the worst MLS team I've ever seen, uh, maybe only second to 2010. But then back to good in 2014. So it's been an absolute roller coaster for DC United over the yeah. last three years or so. It, it it was really strange, and it was really strange to watch those Open Cup games in 2013 because I think out of the if you took a top five if you put together the top five performances that United had in 2013, four of them were Open Cup games, and they were the the last four steps of the Open Cup. Um, the only bad game they played in the Open Cup was against the Richmond Kickers, who really should have knocked them out and didn't. Um, and then in the other games against MLS opposition, it was like, oh, this team can actually play and, and win games and not give up terrible goals. Uh, so it was, it was one of the more bizarre things I've ever seen, that, that Open Cup. And then to rebound so quickly is, is just, it's been strange the last few years. <laughs> it's very odd when that happens. It would team like, um, you see it sometimes in FA Cup where like an Aston Villa or a, or a West Ham makes a run and it gets to the final. But um Anyway, Jason, before we let you get out of here, uh, we need to get your prediction for the game and maybe the three players that will be like the three stars of the game kind of thing. Three players from, from both teams? From Three players from the combined uh, 22 on the okay. field. Um, well, for my prediction, 
I do think United is going to play better in this game than they have in the last two, but uh, the last two road games, I should say. But uh, I do think uh, Orlando is probably going to break their uh, wait for an open play goal in this one. I think I um, right now, at least, I see it going 2-1 Orlando. Um, and as for the players to watch, uh, I mean, Kaká is a pretty obvious choice, but it's hard not to pick the guy since he's he's so good. Um from United, I'm I'm going to take Nick DeLeon, who has he's not been making big headlines, but he's been really really consistently good all season. Um, maybe people will pay attention after the the assist that he had for Pontius's goal was was pretty spectacular. Uh, not just the timing of it, but the nature of it was was a excellent piece of skill. And for the third player, uh, since I'm predicting Orlando to win, I guess I have to pick. Um, I, I like Kevin Molino. Um, I know you guys are very familiar with him, and, and I've been impressed uh, seeing him in the in the uh, Open Cup in the past, um, and now seeing him in full time in MLS. I think he's he's the right kind of player to partner Kaká in the midfield, and I think him cutting inside is going to be an issue for United. All right, well, uh, we'll see what happens Friday night at the Orlando Citrus Bowl. Jason Anderson from Black and Red United, thanks so much for being with us. You can you can also obviously find him at uh, blackandredunited.com. He's on the Filibuster podcast, uh, which thanks again for having me on this week. And um, you, where, what's your Twitter handle there, Jason? Uh, it is uh, at chestrockwell14. There you go. So find him on Twitter as well. Thanks, Jason, for being with us. All right. Thanks for having me on, guys. Okay, so... Uh, you know, there's nothing really much left to do before Friday, uh, except for getting our predictions, uh, which are, you know, pretty well known for being miserably wrong for the most part. Um, but we'll we'll see what happens. We we think we'll have Carlos Rivas on the bench. We think we might have Breck Shea and Darwin Saron on the bench. They might have Rafael Ramos in the starting lineup. So some of our guys might be coming back, and I doubt we'll see like a howler goal um you know, given up by DC like they did in, in Bradenton to uh, Carlos Rivas on a free kick, but uh, it would be really cool if we do see that. Uh, guys, let me start with you, Andrew. What's uh, what's your prediction? Who's going to score? And what's the final going to be? And uh, you know, what's going to happen? <laughs> the more things you ask me to predict, the more things I'm going to get wrong. I, I was hoping it would just keep to the score. Um, <laughs> I uh, you saw my preview uh, went live on the site today, which you should definitely give a read. Uh, I think I do agree with Jason on this one. I think this is going to be a good game for Orlando. I think it's really uh, tough to to oversell how important uh, Spindola and Birnbaum are for DC. Probably their best defender, definitely their best striker. They're going to be missing both of them. Uh, they haven't been great on the road so far this year, uh, and Orlando's got to be feeling pretty confident about how some of the young guys getting in and coming up with that uh, taking the point away from Montreal. So I think we do well. I think, um, you know, I honestly wouldn't be surprised to see Kaká and Ribeiro get on the board again, although it'd be nice to spread the wealth a little bit, but it's hard to bet against those two guys right now. I think Orlando probably takes the victory 2-1 uh, to one here on Friday night. All right, Austin. Well, last week I predicted uh, 1-0 win for Orlando with Danny Mwanga scoring, and I'm pretty sure I was... <laughs> The most wrong it could possibly be for that respect. So uh, <clears throat> I'm going to try and get this <laughs> a little better here. I'm going to say 1-1 draw, and I think the goals are going to come from Jairo Arrieta and 
Let me go with, uh, uh, throw out a random name here. Brian Rochez gets his first of the year. Let's go with that. Okay, wow. All right. Um, you know, I'm, I would love to be optimistic, but man, D.C. United defending Eastern Conference champions, a wealth of, of talent and a wealth of depth and a wealth of experience in the league. It's going to be really tough. They're playing pretty well. They usually start a little slow and then get rolling, but they're they're already putting points together. I think I think Orlando gets on the board, but I, I see a two one DC victory in this game. Oh, it's not going to make me popular with our our listeners. I, th- but, I thought I was the negative guy. What's this? What's well, this about? So I'm I'm going to be happy happy if I'm wrong. Put it that way. But I think uh, we finally get a Molino goal. Um, maybe, you know, playing for Trinidad and Tobago shook the cobwebs out. Maybe he's had time to reflect on uh, and watch some film. Uh, maybe we get a Kevin Molino goal, but I, I think it's 2-1. I just think uh, I, I'm i always the kind of guy who my teams always get tortured by the guys they let go. So I think is going to score. And then I think they're going to get some kind of weird, fluky goal, like off a set piece or, uh, you know, maybe Pontius off a rebound or something. Um I'm not. I guess I'm not totally encouraged by the way Donovan Ricketts played the last game, so that's kind of playing into my decision as well. So uh, I hopefully, hopefully I'm wrong. Um, I think we'll get our first goal in the run of play at home, but I don't think we get our first home victory. Please, please let me be wrong. <laughs> ah, so that'll just about do it. We're going to call it another mainland podcast, done and dusted. Um, hope you enjoyed it. We'll be back next week to break down this game and talk about who we got to talk about next portland is that what we're up to yeah, now I think so. we're flying through this uh this early season schedule yeah so um and that's going to be another tough trip too uh so anyway for andrew marcinko for austin david and for our our uh, staff writer kevin mercer who was on us on with us earlier and big thanks to jason anderson of black and red united i'm michael citro and uh we will see you next time out peace go city